For the next couple of episodes of the Discover the Word podcast, pastor and author Robert Gelinas joins the group to lead us in a look at the most prayed prayer in the Bible and whether that prayer should be our most prayed prayer. So what is the most prayed prayer in the Bible? You start going through scriptures, the most prayed prayer in the Bible is some form of the mercy prayer. Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. It is the most prayed prayer in the Bible. Yeah, that is our guest for the next two episodes of the podcast, Robert Gelinas. Robert joins regular group members Marty Hahn and Elisa Morgan for an important series of conversations about the mercy prayer here on Discover the Word. Hi, and welcome to Discover the Word, the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries. And something we try to do from time to time is invite a friend to join us at the table. In addition to the regular team of Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry, we have guests join the group to lead us through a study of a passage or a subject that has been significant in their walk with the Lord. And occasionally we also dig back into our archives of Bible studies to remind ourselves of some of the important things that we've learned over the years. Well, for this study, we're going to check a couple of those boxes. We're going to take our next two podcasts to listen to some conversations Mart and Elisa had about 10 years ago now with Robert Gelinas. Robert is pastor of Colorado Community Church in the Aurora, Denver, Colorado area. And he did a series of sermons that turned into a book called The Mercy Prayer. And then he joined us here at the table to go through a study of the most prayed prayer in the Bible that had a profound impact on us. And so we thought it was time for us to review how the mercy prayer can become our most prayed prayer. And remember, this was recorded about 10 years ago, and so it's, you know, plus 10 on all of their time references. So why don't you go ahead and pull your chair in close as Mart and Elisa and Robert Gelinas get this series about the mercy prayer underway. Mart? Well, Robert, I just want to join Brian in welcoming you to discover the word to the table here. And Elisa... You know Robert. Oh, I've just got an inside giggle forming. I, I'm so happy that Robert's here. I've, I've known Robert for 20 years or so at least, and we've served in a couple of ministries together, but most recently, like 18 of the years, he's been my pastor at uh-huh. uh, Colorado Community Church in Aurora, Colorado. Uh, Robert has a, a strong vision for the people of God. And he's most recently written a book called The Mercy Prayer, which comes out of his preaching and out of God's work in and through him. And we're so excited to to mine into it. I'm about halfway through, and I'll tell you, it's taken me apart. I'm thrilled to be able to sit here and talk about it today. Well, I am as well, and it took me apart when I was writing it. So, Uh, yeah. Let's dive in. We, we want to hear a little bit about your story, Robert. And as you want to lead us into this topic, um, take us where you think God wants us to go. You know, I was raised by my grandmother. She would always take me to church, but she would never go herself. She would uh, drop me off out front. I would go in Sunday school, then afterwards I would come back out. She'd be waiting outside in the car, but she never would go into the church herself. 
I'm forever grateful to her for that because it was because of her decision to make sure I was going to church that I found Christ. And wow. um, and this so, was just a little boy, right? Yeah. I was reading in the book about yeah, this. Yeah, since before was kindergarten. And fascinating. Was, when I was nine it. years old is when a Sunday school teacher asked me, do you understand what it means to know Christ? And uh, I didn't. And so she walked me through that. Uh, and, and you described yourself as every week you, she'd dress you up and you had all of your little pens. You had memorized the Bible. Yeah, yeah my little green suit. Yeah, yeah. But she stayed out in the parking lot. Yeah, yeah. And years later, into my teen years, I started asking her, you know, why? I mean, I was finally getting to that point where I wanted to know where she was spiritually. Why would she make sure I went to church, but she never would? And that began a conversation that would happen over and over. She always would somehow get around to the line she just struggled with God and basically his compassion. She would always say, you mean to tell me a mafia hitman could get to heaven with me? And that bothered her, that if she was in heaven and somebody worse than her was also there, then that just didn't seem right. Fairness was a yeah. big deal to her. It was. It was She's big. not alone. No. I think that's a question many of us have. When I read that, it really struck me. Here's a grandmother, dearly loves a grandson. She's raising you, right? Yeah. yeah. Did you live with your grandmother? Pretty much all my life. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But why did she bring you to church? Yes, if mean, she questioned it, yeah, why if, was if it she, important? If she had for her? those mm-hmm, issues, mm-hmm. yeah, it makes me wonder what kind of child I was that she thought I needed to get to church. <laughs> <laughs> I need to get him some help. Um, yeah, but there was just something about probably what we would call the scandal of the gospel that grated against her her sense of justice. But, but why did she get you there? She never would say. You know, hmm. she just always made sure I was there. And you were obedient and yeah. went. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the picture mm-hmm. that I thought in the book you described of yourself. You're compliant. You dress up. But kind of courageous, too, to go in all by yourself oh, to yeah. church. I mean, that's huge. And you weren't going in with brothers or sisters? Or? For a few years, there was one of my sisters who okay. would go with me. But she was a little older, and she opted out when she could. But yeah. back to this fairness piece, it bothered her that she wanted God to be compassionate, but it also bothered her that he might not be fair. Alisa, could I just say, when you say she wanted... God mm-hmm. to be compassionate. Why do you say that much? Well, I, I'm trying to figure this thing out. Well, I'm hearing this hunger, but maybe let's let Robert tell us. Okay. That's a good question. You know, I don't know what she wanted. I think she wanted to be with God when she died, that okay. sort of thing. You know, what if you die? Are you going to go to heaven? That kind of question that, you know, many people were asking, and I'm sure I was asking her. But she was concerned about who was going to be there with her. And I'm sure it had something to do with, am I good enough? And if I'm good enough, I need to be better than others. But she was, I think she was onto something. She was catching on to the suspicion that maybe God is lenient when it comes to people. And if he's lenient to a mafia hitman, well, then who else is he going to be lenient to? And, and we see that in the scripture. I mean, the first murderer in the Bible is Cain, and Cain commits premeditated murder. And then God shows up and asks him about it, and he doesn't own up. He doesn't take responsibility for what he has done. And then when God pronounces the sentence on him and says, you now are going to spend life in solitary confinement. What does Cain do? But Cain basically says, this is too much for me. This is too much. I can't bear that. And he just escaped the death penalty and got a life sentence. And yet what does Cain want? He wants even less than that. Hmm. And God relents. God says, I will be with you. And anybody who wants to make the sentence worse, I will go against them. So my grandmother was onto something. God is lenient even when it comes to the worst of us. How did you begin to figure this out, that your grandmother was on to something? You were a teenager when you began to have these chats, but now you're way down the road, and that sounds very intriguing. What was your journey to begin to look at this? You know, it's always in retrospect when you see that God was placing things in your life that then complete your story later on when you look back. So mm-hmm. I've been fascinated by the place where I was born. I was born at a hospital called Mercy Hospital. Mm. 
And one of my favorite places to pray is right across the street. And when they tore down Mercy Hospital, I felt this loss. I have a daughter whose name in Amharic, she's from Ethiopia, means mercy of God. And then when I look at times in my life when I've suffered or I've sinned, God seems to be very merciful to me. And so just trying to put that together and seeing in Scripture that the most prayed prayer in the Bible, Cain was just the first one to ask for leniency, but he was not the last. When you start going through Scriptures, the most prayed prayer in the Bible is some form of the mercy prayer. Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. It is the most prayed prayer in the Bible. So, Lord, have mercy. Yeah. This is the prayer, the mercy prayer. Yes. I think we've sensed the importance and the emphasis of, of mercy in the Bible, but I, I've never thought in those terms, you know, the most prayed prayer. You no, know, I think of the, the Lord's prayer or, you know, so, but to distinguish it this way, that's right. very helpful. And you know what I'm going to be interested in, too, is because I've, I've read the book enough that I know that for you, Robert, this is not a simple issue. It's a very complex one, and I don't know at what point in in our conversations you want to talk about this, but you also have a great sense of justice. And I don't know if you want to talk about that now or later, but I I feel in the book, as you're telling your story, wow, at times, how in the world do mercy that we desperately need and justice that we desperately need, how do they come together in our lives? Yeah, well, we can talk about that now and later. I say my big, if I were to come up with an argument against God, if you said, you know, what's your biggest argument if you had to come up with your atheistic argument, why does God not exist? Many people would go to the problem of evil. There's so much suffering in this world. Um, but I think the cross sufficiently answers that for me, that, that there is suffering and God even experienced it himself. But for me, it's the problem of injustice, that when, when you hear of dictators misusing their power and people are dying because of it. There's a sense of justice that rises up. Something needs to make that right. And yeah, I tell you, in your book, you've, you show that you've thought a lot about yeah. this. I mean, you've seen injustice all over the place. Right. And yet God seemingly is doing nothing about it. Mm-hmm. And Stand I think back. what we may be seeing is a good, merciful God at work, mm-hmm. because not only is he being merciful to me, but my grandmother was right. A mafia hitman and a dictator is also beloved by God. And he is being merciful in their life, too. He is holding back what he could be doing to them. You talk about how this concept is so laced through Scripture. Do you want to take us somewhere to look at that? Well, Cain is one example. But Mm -hmm. when I started looking at the mercy prayer in its various forms being the most prayed prayer in the Bible, I began asking why. Why is this the most prayed prayer in the Bible? And what rose to the top for me is that God is most merciful. And so I think of Psalm 119, verse 132, the psalmist says, turn to me and have mercy on me as you always do to those who love your name. And the psalmist says it right there, that God has a reputation. He says, you always have mercy. So I want some of that as well. And that's why I see throughout the scriptures that God is most merciful. And it's interesting in that same psalm, I love the idea you're picking up here. I don't think I've seen it in that statement before, but I have run down to the end of this psalm that over and over again emphasizes, as you say in your book, the law of God, the virtue of obedience, the Torah, the teaching, the the instruction. And yet, as you point out in this verse, and then you go down to the end of that chapter, and there's this amazing statement that David makes. Could you just read it there right at the the last verse in uh, Psalm 119? Elisa, would you, sure. just, would you just read that verse? Okay, let me see if I have it here. I'm going to go to 174. Yeah, go down through 176. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let me live that I may praise you and may your laws sustain me. That's all that emphasis on the, on the law. 
the Torah, the Yes, and then I've strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I've not forgotten your commands. And that's our need for mercy, isn't it? I'm like a lost sheep. Come Mm -hmm. and look for me. (laughs) Please. And that, to me, sounds like a need for mercy. Yeah, in Psalm 119, he's talking all about the law, the law, and wanting to live up to that, and that's what we should want. And at the same time, he recognizes that he can't. And he wants God to always be merciful to him. He's recognizing he's not going to be able to live up to the standards that God has for him. And therefore, we need mercy. And God is rich in mercy, the scriptures say. And God delights to show mercy. So he is more than willing to step forward. Robert, as I've been reading your book, The Mercy Prayer, I see over and over again, you emphasizing, and I think to my surprise, how often mercy shows up in the Bible and how often the mercy prayer, as you call it, is prayed. Yeah, it it is the one request presented to Jesus more than any other. And I was astounded when I actually started to look at it as well, that you read through the Gospels and you see on two different occasions, blind men, two pairs coming to Jesus saying, Lord, have mercy on us. And one time, Jesus walks right on by them and they have to grope their way through the streets. And it says, when he went inside, then he responded to their request. And that gave way to that song that we sing, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior, because he did walk by, but Hmm. then ultimately responded with mercy. At least that's interesting because when he said that, you walked on by. I'm like, yikes. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. it seemed to go contrary to what you're saying in the book. Because one of the ideas that I'm reading is you're saying, God always answers this prayer. But it looked like in that moment. That he didn't. So this really is, Lord have mercy. The mercy prayer, as you've coined it, is the prayer Jesus always, always always responded to. Even though it he may appear at times as though he's not going uh-huh. to, right? I mean, right. There was another time where a, a mother came to him with her daughter and said, have mercy on me, which I find interesting. Her daughter was suffering, but the mom says, mm-hmm. Lord, have mercy on me. Because anybody who's had to care for somebody who's suffering, you suffer as well. Nurses suffer when they care for patients. So she says, have mercy on me. And again, in that passage, it doesn't look like he's going to, but then he says, you have great faith. And he responds to that prayer in that moment. Every time somebody said, have mercy on me, Jesus stopped and responded. Why is this the most prayed prayer? I think for a couple of reasons. One is it reveals the truth about us. What would cause somebody to say, have mercy on me, reveals some truths about the human condition, that we all sin, Hmm. we all suffer, we all suffer because of sin, and we all sin to alleviate our suffering. Oh, wow. That's that's a lot right there. That's right. (laughs) That's That's rich. That's really good. That's that's way too much to absorb quickly. I want to know more. Yeah, 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 take the first one. We we all sin. That is, every single one of us has had that moment where we did something outside the will of God, and it was like pushing over the first domino. And now that we've done that, we can't believe what we just did. And we're watching the consequences of our sin play out in our own heart, in the lives of others. And our response when we see that is, God have mercy. And what we're saying is, Uh step in and take one of those dominoes out and stop the chain reaction that I have become. Okay, I want to go into it because when I hear it, I'm like, make the consequences for my actions go away. That's where I go. But what is mercy? It's exactly that. I have consequences that are now coming on me because of my sin. And I'm asking you to lessen that, to stop that, to step in and let it not be as bad as it could have been. Is it like magical thinking of, you know, backing up in time? Yeah, well, that's the question, isn't it? I mean, does God really do that? You've heard this statement over the years, I think, the idea that we make our choices, but we don't choose the consequences of our choices. And sometimes that statement is used to say, you know what, God is not going to rescue you from the consequences of your choices. And yet mercy says, maybe he will. And that's why we ask, maybe he will rescue me 
from the very things I have brought upon myself. I don't know if I can process this. Are you actually saying that when we've done something wrong, that we can expect God to intervene to allow us to escape the consequences of what we've just done? What I'm saying is try asking him next time you sin and see if he doesn't respond. See if the consequences of your sin isn't less than what you would have expected. Because what we see in Scripture is he is one who delights in lessening the consequences of what we have set into motion. I can see this at the end of time. I mean, I understand that Jesus's actions on the cross cleanse me. I have trouble believing that it can make a difference today. But King David didn't have trouble believing that. And David is the man who prayed for mercy the most in the Bible. And when he sinned, Bathsheba and then the murder of her husband, what does he say? Psalm 51, have mercy on me according to your unfailing love. He had no problem saying, I've started this, but mm. I need you to help stop it. And God stepped in. And we have There were consequences, but they weren't as bad as they could have been. Let's talk about that then, because there, there's a part of this that says, no, there, there have to be consequences. We've often made that point about David, right? Even though God did show mercy and he got away with murder in some ways, right? Right. right. The conspiracy to take this general's life. What would be the difference? What consequences did he get? And which consequences did he avoid or escape because of the mercy of God? He ultimately didn't lose his relationship with God. And he goes down in history as a man after God's own heart. After all he did, he is still revered. And yet he lost and, his son. Yeah, he lost his son. Mm -hmm. He lost peace for a while. Mm -hmm. He lost his reputation. He lost re among some, but not all. Mm -hmm. Not everybody found mm -hmm. out. We, we find out because we have a Bible that tells us, but everyone around him didn't know at the time. Some did, but not all. Mm -hmm. And he ultimately gets to be the line that produces the savior of the world. And so God was more than merciful to him. In the same way that he was with Adam and Eve, that they are sitting there in all of their shame. And God says, well, let me cover your nakedness. And as he ushers them out of the garden, what does he do? He goes with them. Mm -hmm. And so even though they're not in Eden, God is still with them. Mm -hmm. And what could have been didn't happen. He lessened the consequence in their life. I like the, I mean, what I'm really attracted to are these specific answers, of course, but I'm very attracted to the appeal you're offering, Robert, that we see how God is willing to grant us mercy in our every day if we ask. And I don't mean that in a prosperity kind of gospel. I mean that in the everyday experience of what God has done for us now. Yeah. Right. And it's not just when we sin. I mean, that's mm -hmm. one of the most natural ways, but the fact that we would ask God for mercy is also because we suffer. And this is a world full of pain, and that pain comes our way. The pain is something that God desires to alleviate and to step in and to lessen in our life as well. I think of a man by the name of Wally. He was diagnosed with a terminal illness and decided he was just going to move from Colorado and be homeless in Florida and die where it's warm instead of dying where it was cold. He curled up underneath a bridge each night in Florida and mm. just said, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, as he thought he was going to die one of those nights. And here he is five years later, and God has restored him. And the doctors still say he's supposed to be dying, and yet he's living. And that's suffering and yet alleviation at the same time. And yet not everybody in a dying condition calls for mercy and finds that their life has been extended, right? Right. But the suffering can be lessened and that God is merciful in the midst of suffering. And especially when you bring the two together, that we all sin and we all suffer, mm -hmm. but we all suffer because of sin. There's that verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Elisa, you probably have that mm -hmm. uh, off right. the top That's of your head. Right, that's a very familiar one. It's that there's no temptation that's taken us, but what's common. But God's faithful. 
then he will provide a way out of it when we depend upon him. That's my paraphrase, but that's what it says. Yeah, why do, why do we sin? And listen to the words that are in there. There's no temptation is taken or seized. Mm-hmm. God will provide a way to escape like we've been kidnapped. We can stand up underneath it like there's a heavy weight on us. Temptation is a traumatic experience. And oftentimes the reason why we choose to sin is because the temptation hurts so much. It hurts to try not to sin. And so we choose to sin Mm -hmm. to alleviate the suffering of temptation. Mm -hmm. If anybody came to you and said, last night, a wild animal seized me, but I was able to escape and stand up against it, we would say, are you okay? And yet that's what we're facing every day with temptation is that kind of assault. And oftentimes we sin because the assault of temptation hurts so much. And so the promise of the mercy prayer is not only is God available for us when we sin, but he's even available for us before we sin. When we're going through the trauma of temptation, that's when we begin to seek him for mercy. Hebrews 2.18 says, Jesus suffered when he was tempted, not just when he was on the cross, but when he was tempted in the desert, that's when he was suffering as well. And God's mercy is available for us then as well. Okay, I think I'm beginning to see what you're saying. You're not saying that by praying the mercy prayer, we can avoid all consequences of our wrong choices. You're saying that by praying the mercy prayer from our heart, we can, in a very real sense, experience God's presence and grace and mercy in ways that would be far better than if we turned around and ran away from him. Exactly. It almost appears that it's the closer you get to God, the more you desire mercy. I think of the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament, that it was when you got to the Holy of Holies, once you got past that veil, it is then that you saw the mercy seat. And the closer we get to him, the more we experience of him. And even though we may be experiencing the kinds of things that we talked about with David, there was a lot of loss in the middle of it all. But what he got was far greater than if he had turned his back in hopelessness and walked away from God. It's like we need to not give up on ourselves because God hasn't given up on us. And when we sin, that's where we go. And what you're saying is the mercy prayer really invites us into the presence that God has for us even in our failures and even in our suffering and even in our world where suffering lives and reigns. There is mercy for us even there. Lord, have mercy. What a great reminder it is to know that that request is a prayer that God always answers. And uh, we are really just getting this conversation started, and so we'll be spending a lot of time discovering how he does that. Well, this is Discover the Word, as Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, and special guest Robert Gelinas continue to explore the significance of mercy and the mercy prayer found throughout Scripture. And, you know, after these conversations, you may not think about God's mercy the same way again. We hope not. It's uh, who God is and how he wants to relate to us. And so when they come back, Robert will share with us an idea about how to make the Bible's most prayed prayer our most prayed prayer by building it into our biology. Maybe tonight when you go to sleep, you'll start to feel your heartbeat. There'll be a moment where it's quiet enough and you can feel your heart beating. And as you fade off to sleep, just begin to say, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And in that moment, you're starting to build it into your biology and you'll awake in the middle of the night and you'll find yourself praying for God's mercy. Well, more on that after this quick word about Robert's book, The Mercy Prayer. Mm 
Now, during the series, we want to let you know about Robert Gelinas' book on this subject called The Mercy Prayer. I think you'll enjoy Robert's engaging style as he invites us to explore how God continues to generously offer mercy. Mercy that not only changes us, but influences those around us as well. Robert weaves biblical wisdom, personal insights, and relatable stories that not only encourage us to incorporate the mercy prayer more intentionally into our own lives, but also leaves us amazed at how prevalent the subject of mercy is in the Bible. And so if you're intrigued by this idea of the mercy prayer and how often it shows up in the scriptures and how you can make it your most prayed prayer, I would highly recommend getting Robert's book. Just search for The Mercy Prayer by Robert Gelinas, and that's spelled G-E-L-I-N-A-S, Robert Gelinas, in your favorite online bookseller and order a copy. I know you'll find it a helpful complement to our study here on Discover the Word. And now back to this discussion of the Mercy Prayer with Robert Gelinas and the Discover the Word group. I find it interesting that if the Mercy Prayer is the most often prayed or frequently prayed prayer in Scripture, why wasn't I really taught to pray it? I mean, I was taught the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, um, but the mercy prayer, Lord have mercy on me, I didn't learn to pray it that. It wasn't an emphasis in our churches either as I was growing up. Mm-mm. I'm very attracted to it, though. Lord of mercy, the more I think about it, the, the more, more I live. Like, I'm, I'm, attra- <laughs> I'm desperately in need of it. Exactly. Yeah. What is mercy, Robert? How can you help us define it and understand what it is we're praying for when we say, Lord, have mercy? You know, I think it's the most prayed prayer in the Bible because as we talked about, it reveals something about ourself, but it also reveals something about God and who God is and his character. And you have this one passage where God says to Moses, I'm going to pass in front of you and I'm going to proclaim my name. Basically, he says, I'm going to preach a sermon about my name. And what does he say? And this is Exodus 33, verse 19. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And so here you have God saying, I want to tell you something about myself, and I'm going to proclaim my name. And my name has to do with mercy. And then later on in that passage, he reveals four things. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love. And that comes up over and over throughout the scriptures, that he is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love. That is God's mercy. Hmm. It's what made Jonah so angry. The, <laughs> the Ninevites, uh, he wanted God to get them. He wanted justice. He wanted them to have to deal with the sin and the chaos that they had caused. And so the reason why he didn't want to go there, he reveals later on in the book, he says, I knew you were merciful. That's why I didn't want to go. I knew you were merciful. And then he repeats back to God, I knew you were compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. That's what mercy is. And I didn't want the Ninevites to get that side of you. I wanted them to get their due. Right. I wanted your wrath to fall upon them. (laughs) You know, it's so interesting. Mm. As I listen to you, the focus is so clear. The emphasis on God's person, who he is, you know, it comes through so clear. But for some reason... I've come to this point, you know, we talked about the fact that in our churches when growing up was not taught this prayer, not with that emphasis. I also heard those words, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and compassion on whom I will have compassion 
in a completely different way. How did you hear of that? Well, out of the New Testament, out of the way mm-hmm. Paul writes and uses those words in Romans chapter 9. But what it has always felt like is that God is declaring his right to be what sounds like to us unfair. Mm-hmm. Now we say, but he's God. God is God. He has a right to show mercy to whom he wants to show mercy. You know, and we, from our point of view, it just sounds like an absolute affirmation of divine injustice, mm. but his prerogative to be unjust and unfair. Yeah, that's why I write in the book that he's a good God with a bad reputation, because <laughs> any judge who is known for letting people off the hook is going to have a bad reputation. And the next time the political cycle comes around, you're going to want to vote out whatever politician put that judge in place. Yeah. And this is going to sound irreverent, but it sounds like he's a God who allows his friends off the hook, the people Mm. that he chooses off the hook, but others he will absolutely condemn. You know what I mean? When he says, I'll be merciful to who I want to be merciful to, that sounds like he's being partial. It sure is good news if you're a repeat offender, and that describes most of us. And if we're willing to put ourselves into that category, that we are repeat offenders, then it's good news that he will have compassion on whoever he wants, regardless of what our friends say and our enemies say, hey, we should get our due. God says, I don't care what you say. I'm going to have compassion and mercy on this person. Now, if I'm a repeat offender, the question is, how do I know whether or not he wants to have mercy on me? Because he's going to make the choice. Can you hear how it it could sound that way? Yeah, but I don't think that's the way it's supposed to sound. I think what the prayer is revealing in all the various forms in the Bible, God have mercy on me, is that if you know the character of God, you know you can go to him for this, that he desires to have mercy. Otherwhere in scripture, he is rich in mercy. He delights to show mercy. Or as we already saw in Psalm 119, have mercy on me as you always do. The fact that so many people are asking God for mercy is a result of knowing who God is and who he wants to be known as, as a merciful judge. And to be honest with you, that's where I'm coming to. Mm-hmm. I think I've misheard it over the years. I think I've misunderstood the story about God chooses Jacob and not Esau. I think I misunderstood that whole story and missed the fact that God was choosing to show mercy on one for the sake of all. You know, that mm. he wants to show mercy to everyone. But I really think if my experience is anything like anyone else's, it's very easy to hear the most wonderful truth in the Bible that I think you're presenting in a way that's completely twisted and turned around to make God sound unfair, partial, mm-hmm. whimsical, mm-hmm. purely doing whatever he wants to do because he's God. Mm-hmm. But you're saying it's so much bigger than that. Right. And it's so much not about us that even though this prayer is, Lord, have mercy on me, we can get caught up into thinking, so this is about me and my sin and me and my suffering. But A.W. Tozer helps us a lot here where he says that God's mercy is not about us, it's about God. And that his mercy would always be true even if we didn't ask for it. That God is infinitely merciful because he is an infinite God. But it's human sin and human suffering that call forth his mercy. And so when we say, have mercy on me, what we're saying is, God, reveal to me and the world a part of yourself that would be hidden and glorify yourself in a way that others would not be able to have seen if it were not for my sin and suffering. And so, so actually, when we sin, we allow room for God's mercy to be demonstrated. Crazy. Or, but yeah. not with the idea of sending intentionally no, to do that. No, but that's the end result of it. Uh, and we've talked about this many times in Discover the Word, that our brokenness reveals the beauty of God's presence. Our helplessness draws him near into our time of need. Um, we see who he is differently when we call upon him. And so mercy similarly shows up in our sin when we ask for it. And we have access to this side of God. Right. And I wasn't 
taught the mercy prayer growing up either. There are church traditions that teach it in a tremendous way. And I am not the first one to point out that the mercy prayer is the most prayed prayer in the Bible. And, and what I'm hoping is we can learn from them that, mm. that maybe tonight when you go to sleep, you'll start to feel your heartbeat. There'll be a moment where it's quiet enough and you can feel your heart beating. And as you fade off to sleep, just begin to say, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. And in that moment, you're starting to build it into your biology and you'll awake in the middle of the night and you'll find yourself praying for God's mercy. And we do that because of our sin and our suffering, because of our friends' sin and suffering. But even more than that, if God answers those prayers, those thousands of prayers, then thousands of people will see God for who he really is. Mm -hmm. Robert, if someone were to say, but that kind of sounds like you're hoping to be heard by repeating something over and over again and almost like wearing God down. Doesn't the Bible warn us against thinking that by saying something, using many words, we can sort of twist the arm of God? Yeah, you know, the scriptures, you know, Jesus talked against vain repetition, but not against repetition. Hmm. You know, when he taught the Lord's Prayer, he wasn't expecting that we would pray it only one time. So he's not against repetition, but meaningless, mindless repetition. And so we need to guard against that, especially with the mercy prayer, because the mercy prayer is just like grace. You know, we, we sit down at our dinner tables and we thank God for our food. But if we're doing it in a mindless way, that's vain repetition as well. Yeah. So we do need to guard against that. Can you give an example of when you've seen God's character revealed by the desire and the plea for his mercy? Yeah, the church that I pastor is in Aurora, Colorado. That is where we had the Century 16 shooting. The movie theater. Yeah, the movie theater. And, and I was out to the movies that night oh, as well. Oh, that was Batman Returns. Yeah, okay. the, the mm-hmm. Batman. One of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of those Batman movies. And, and I was out with a friend watching uh, the movie as well, but I was at a different theater. And I got a phone call, went over to the theater shortly after that happened. It was around 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning. And in the aftermath of that tragedy, I'm on my knees across the street, and all I can do is say, God have mercy. It was the only prayer that made sense in that moment for those who were involved in that. But then that weekend, we had our worship services, and how do you lead a congregation to pray in the midst of such sin and such suffering? And the only thing that made sense was to pray for those who were suffering, but then also to take it to the extreme. If God is who he says he is, then we as followers of Jesus also needed to pray for James Holmes, the Mm. perpetrator of that. And to say, God, have mercy on him and his family as well. And little did I know that when we were doing that, that there was a reporter present with a video camera on his cell phone and videotaped this whole thing and put it online. And for the next couple of weeks, this video of Christians praying, even for the perpetrator of one who killed one of their own, became this online discussion. And I think that's the point. The question then was being asked, Is God really that merciful? And that's really what this is about. Is God really who he says he is? Compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. And yes, he will have mercy on anybody he wants, me and even people worse than me. The mercy prayer is the most prayed prayer in the Bible, um, Robert, you tell us, and, and it makes me question and wonder what would happen if it was the most prayed prayer in my life or in everybody's life. And that's what I've been trying to figure out as well, because there are many Christians who believe that we should try and learn how to pray this prayer with every beat of our heart, with every breath that we take, because it reveals who we are and because it reveals who God is, and therefore we should be all about that. 
Robert, what would you say, though? Because some people would say, but in Christ, don't we already have it? I mean, don't we get the package? Mm. I mean, isn't Jesus all about mercy and grace? Where we really find it is in him and his cross. And we ask for it and he gives it and we've got it. You know, in America, we often think in terms of me. And so if I have it, then things are settled. But everybody doesn't. And so even if it were true, I have it settled for myself, there are millions, maybe even billions who don't. There right now, somewhere in this world, is an underage girl who has been sold into slavery and is caught up in sex trafficking. She needs God's mercy too. She's just one of many who need God to step in and alleviate her suffering. There is a man sitting on death row who only gets out of his cell one hour a day. Yes, he's paying the penalty for what he has done, 23 hours a day in a cell. But the reason why I should pray for mercy with every beat of my heart is because God still loves him and he still needs mercy. There's it's not just about me. a way in which I, I hear two things. One is that when we pray for mercy, Lord have mercy, we're affecting our entire world, which affects us. But I'm also hearing Mart's question of, for me, is there any more mercy I can get if I already yeah. know God? And, and I guess what I'm hearing is, Robert, you're addressing that with the world. Yeah experience. You're, yeah, you're right. But, you know, um, I still sin. Really? And, yeah, and that, and, I do. And that's what he, I was you're a pastor. Yeah. Well, and and it, Robert, what I was going to say is, and I feel like <laughs> Which means I sin more. <laughs> I, I, I feel like such a phony in asking the question because even in asking, you know, don't I have it all in Christ? I know, yes, I do. But I tell you, the countless days when I've been on my face begging for mercy yeah. for any number of reasons because of people who are breaking my heart, because I've fallen far short of what I want it to be. I get this. I'm starting to really see I desperately need mercy every minute, every hour myself, in Christ or out of Christ. Oh, I'm starting to hear this connection that you're laying out for us, Robert, and that is that, yes, the world needs mercy. As I pray for that, God reveals to me that I need mercy more, and I see more of me, and therefore I see more of God as I ask Him for that mercy for the world. And there is this beautiful corporate change and, and I, expression yeah. that happens. And I love what you're describing, these people that we never see, so many mm -hmm. of us we never hear about, and yet they're out there in innumerable numbers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but many of us are going to get that call that says we're going to have to start chemotherapy. We're going to need mercy to get through that. Many of us are going to say something today, maybe to our spouse, and we're going to see the hurt in their eyes when we say it. And at that moment, what we're asking for is, I just started a chain reaction of events that is now harming my relationship with my spouse. Mm. And I need you to step in and lessen this, lessen her pain, lessen the fallout from what I just did. And that's mercy. Yeah, and and in reading difference. the book, Robert, that you've done, mm. I see you making the case in page after page after page that that's the story of the Bible. That is, I think at one point you say it, it may be the theme of the Bible. It, it, it's definitely the theme of my life, and I think it may be the theme of our lives, that what we see on the cross is Jesus bringing his mercy to us in its fullness, but it didn't start on the cross, that all throughout the Old Testament as well, you see God desiring to be merciful and people asking, and asking a lot, that this is a prayer that gets repeated a lot in Scripture. And I think of Psalm 136, yeah. where yeah. in Psalm 136, 26 times it gets repeated. Just over and over. Yeah, over and over. 
In my translation, the repetition is his love endures forever. But in other translations, it says here in in my mm-hmm. translation, it says for his mercy his endures mercy. forever. Yeah, that word yeah. hesed gets translated love, loving kindness, mm-hmm. grace, graciousness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and most of us remember this psalm: "Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good; His mercy endures forever." Give thanks to the God of gods; His mercy endures forever. Obviously, God's trying to make a point here by including this repetition. You said twenty-seven times. 26 times. And think about it. They would have sung this together. Mm. Together they would have been gathered in worship and they would have sung and over and over again said, his mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. And the idea is that when they left their corporate experience of worship, that would be ringing in their ears and maybe they would say, his mercy endures forever. So God have mercy on me. Mm. God have mercy on me. Mm. God have mercy on me. Can you unpack just those words, his mercy endures forever? You know, it takes us back to God is eternal. Mm -hmm. And what we talked about A.W. Tozer saying that if God is eternal, then all of his attributes are eternal, which means his mercy is eternal. His mercy never began and his mercy will never end. His love, his mercy, his kindness endures forever. And I'm thinking back to Mark when you asked the question of, you know, if I already have God, don't I already have his mercy? Maybe it's a matter of focus. I could focus on a lot of attributes of God. You know, his knowledge endures forever or his um, presence endures forever or his justice endures forever. And yet the psalmist is saying, focus 26 times on his mercy endures forever. Is that because we overlook his mercy? Is that because we don't believe his mercy? For some reason... This repetition in our brains needs to settle into our souls and guide us, I guess. And and if we're living in the moment, if we're living with realism, it becomes so apparent that we need it. Hmm. I mean, this idea, yes, positionally, I may be in Christ. I live by his name. I live by his love. I live by what he's done for me. But I live now in a mess of brokenness and among people who are desperately. Hmm. And and Robert, that's what you're describing. Hmm. You know, we desperately need his mercy. Yeah, and I truly do believe the closer you draw to him, the more you ask for his mercy, that it is an outgrowth of intimacy with God, that you see that this, among many other things, is something he wants to give and grant to us. And so I think we should make it our most prayed prayer in life. And for that to happen, it's going to take practice. That's what we see many Christians doing is they they practice it. So you practice it with your heartbeat. You practice it with every breath you take so that it becomes a natural response. How does it not become like a formula or a kind of a bibbidi-bobbidi-boo magical thinking deal? How how does that stay sincere? How do you keep it from being a mindless practice, right? If you're just saying the words over and over again, we know that with anything, Mm -hmm. there's almost a familiarity that breeds contempt. There's just, after a while, you just go through the motions. Mm -hmm. You know, Paul says, train yourself unto godly. And if you think of somebody training to be a great basketball player, so they, they'll shoot a thousand free throws a day. So that's a lot of repetition. But they do all the repetition so that in the moment when they need it, they don't have to think about it. It's just a natural response of their body. And so this, I think the same is true of this. We can train ourselves when it comes to this prayer in our sleep, maybe with our heartbeat, uh, practice it throughout the day so that when there is a moment when mercy is needed, our natural response, the reflex of our soul, is to seek God for that. One intentional thing I've, I've begun to practice since reading your book and talking with you, Robert, about this is uh, when I see on Facebook, for example, someone in a tragedy or our countries in a catastrophe, maybe someone posts about that. I mean, it's so easy to go into this, I'll be praying and I mean it, but I've stopped myself and intentionally now I type in these words, Lord, have mercy. 
And to me, it is an act of obedience. I don't understand what the mercy will look like. I don't understand what may or may not be lessened in the consequences of this situation. But I'm actually praying that prayer. And it's become a bit of an act of obedience for me. But I I feel like I'm just, you know, lifting the corner of the page trying to get this concept spiritually. You're right. And we're going to be watching the evening news and we will see a myriad of reasons why God would want to be merciful. Mm -hmm. And for that to be our natural response, the next time we see a politician caught up in a scandal, that our natural response is God get them. Rather, our natural response is God have mercy on them as well. It pulls me back to who am I? I am not any less sinful than the next person. It pulls me back to who is God. He stands prepared to intervene regardless of where this person is on their journey with God. It pulls me back to the planet and my responsibility to interact with it and care about it and not isolate in my Christian little bubble of, well, I'm immune because I'm not. It just pulls me into a way of corporate connection with the body of Christ. And you're describing the two of you a, a huge difference, it's such a different way of looking at people, a different way of looking at the world. Because you're right, it is so easy to just to move to slip into a political, moral judgment of somebody else, especially if they're on the other side of the aisle, especially if we look at them as being a problem. And if Christ were to be watching it, if he were to be sitting there watching the news with us, I just know his response would be far different and probably far more like the mercy prayer that you're describing never what I would naturally in my flesh come up with. Yeah, how would it change you and how would it change your world if you made Lord have mercy your default response, uh, your most prayed prayer? Uh, Convicting thought, isn't it? Well, we are taking a special look back at some conversations we had with Robert Gelinas about the mercy prayer a number of years ago. As a longtime Discover the Word listener himself, uh, we were thrilled to have Robert join us to tell us how his journey exploring God's mercy completely changed the direction of his life and his relationship with Christ. And hey, if you were to guess, who would you think would be the person in the Bible who was the most frequent prayer of the mercy prayer? Any guesses? Well, we will wrap up part one of this study by focusing on what we can learn from one of our favorite Bible characters who made the mercy prayer his most prayed prayer. In fact, it was one of the things that led him to be called a person after God's own heart. And that is a big clue there, isn't it? So who is the most frequent prayer of the most prayed prayer in the Bible? Find out after this short reminder from Our Daily Bread Ministries. Now, these Discover the Word conversations are only one of the strategies of how Our Daily Bread Ministries desires to support you in your walk with Christ. And in turn, it is your encouragement and support that makes it possible for us to do what we do. Our products help millions around the world each day, and that's not a stretch. It's millions engage the Scriptures. We heard from a Discover the Word friend recently who said about studying with us, God reveals something new Every time I read his word. And we found that to be true, haven't we? And so if you'd like to partner with us financially, you can do that by going to our website at discovertheword.org and clicking on the Donate tab at the top of the screen. Again, go to discovertheword.org and click the Donate button at the top of the page. So this next part of the conversation takes us to the person in the Bible who prays the mercy prayer more than any other. And spoiler alert, it is David 
who lived his life well before Jesus came and gave us a whole new understanding of the depth of God's mercy. And that is something that raises a question in Mart, who will voice it to begin this part of our conversation about the mercy prayer. Robert, I would imagine that as a pastor of a fairly diverse community that you've often run into the perception that the God of mercy that you've written this book about is really the God of the New Testament. And it's kind of like a new look at God. It's a new perspective on God. I don't know, Elisa, you've run into that as well, haven't you? Yeah, I think we think of the God of the Old Testament as a God of judgment and the God of the New Testament as a God of mercy. And it makes me wonder, do we see this concept in the Old Testament and where? Yeah, because in the New Testament, we do have the greatest act of mercy ever. We have the cross. And so Mm -hmm. that's in the New Testament. We have Jesus who never turned away somebody who came with this request. But the majority of requests for mercy, the mercy prayer is prayed more in the Old Testament than in the New Testament. Really? That might Uh, be a surprise. Yeah, Yeah. I think so. And you have the one person who prayed for mercy the most in the Old Testament. I mean, there is a person in the Bible who decided to make the mercy prayer his most prayed prayer in life. And he is? King David, a man after God's own heart. And, and we're familiar with him in so many different ways. And yet, as you read through the Psalms, he wrote most of those Psalms. And so many of them, he begins them by saying, have mercy on me, O God. And as you go through them, like Psalm 57, verse 1. Mm. Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me, for in you my soul takes refuge. I take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster is past. And there you have him asking for mercy, and he's in a difficult time. And I love where he says, in the shadow of your wings. And that takes us right back to the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies, where you had the angels on both sides of the mercy seat spreading their wings. And that's where he's envisioning himself. Okay, so we're talking about the tent of meeting, this house of symbols, even before the temple, right? Right. So, yeah, because the temple wasn't built until Solomon. So you're thinking that the, the furniture of that sacred place... right? Not of the altar, the bronze altar on the outside right. where the sacrifice was made. But then you the would animal. get to that inmost place. Oh, the inner sanctuary, right. this most separated place right. and behind the veil. Yes. And there you have the mercy seat. And on both sides, you have these angels that are spreading their wings. Their wings spread out over this, as you indicated, it was golden, wasn't it? The mercy yeah. seat. Yeah. And then the Ark of the Covenant with the law, the tablets right. of the law held underneath. And this represented the very presence of God for the people of Israel. And David is saying, in you, my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster is past. And fascinating, this Psalm 57, the prescript says that it is written by David when he has fled from Saul into the cave. So when he's at jeopardy himself, he's envisioning this protection that you're describing. In the very presence of God. Mm. You know, what's interesting is when you mentioned that there's a man in the Old Testament who has made the mercy prayer, the most prayed prayer of his life. The first thing that came to my mind was, yeah, David, this man who, even though he was king, committed this awful sin. Many but of this them. this is happening mm-hmm. prior to that. Yeah, we, we immediately go to Psalm 51 where he says, have mercy on me. And he's talking about the sin with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband. But this is before that. And he says, I want to get to that place that is represented by the shadow of your wings, that place of mercy. And it's a time of disaster. It's a time when Saul is chasing him and he is hidden out in a cave. It's because of what's happening in the cave, though, that he's praying for mercy, because all of these people are coming to his aid in the cave as he's hiding from Saul. And all of these people are coming to comfort him. And it's then that he says, ravenous beasts are around me. 
and you've had that experience maybe where you undergo something traumatic in your life. Maybe a loved one dies and the people who show up to mm. bring you comfort are the ones who are causing the problem. Oh. And that's what's happening with him. The disaster was bad enough, but the people who are showing up to help are actually hurting him. And he I says, have mercy on me, oh God. I had never thought of it that way before. <laughs> I think I've experienced it though. So he yeah. says, have mercy on me because of the people around me. So Wow. And so he prays for mercy when his helpers hurt. But then you also see him asking God for mercy when he's afraid. There's this one time because he's still running from Saul and he runs to Gath, which is Goliath's hometown. And he waltzes into Goliath's hometown carrying Goliath's sword. How afraid does he have to be that Goliath's hometown looks safe to him? So why is he there? I mean, why has he gone there? Because he's afraid of Saul. And so he runs from fear he's to fleeing. fear. Mm. Uh, he, he flees one place of lack of safety for another place of lack of safety. And he gets there and then realizes where he is. And then we've had moments where we're so afraid of something that we run to something else, which is just as bad for us. <laughs> and, and that's what he does. And then when he realizes where he is, he's now in the camp of the enemy and they would have reason to kill him. Uh, the, story, the Philistines. The Philistines. Mm -hmm. the, the story goes, he begins to foam at the mouth and act like he's insane and starts scratching on the door. He is desperate. And he's just absolutely desperate in the midst of all that. But then it says in Psalm 34, verse four, he says, and I sought the Lord. I sought the Lord during that time. And didn't you ever wonder, so what did he say when he sought the Lord? And then you have Psalm 56, which goes along with that. Psalm 56, and there's a little heading on that. It says, for the director of music to the tune of A Dove on Distant Oaks of David, when the Philistines had seized him in Gath. And so there he is. He has run now to the enemy's camp. And now he's like, what do I do? And he says in verse one of Psalm 56, be merciful to me, O God, for men hotly pursue me. All day long, they press their attack. My slanderers pursue me all day long. Many are attacking me in their pride. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God I trust and I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? And you see this pattern in David's life. The mercy prayer is the most prayed prayer in his life. When disaster strikes, when his helpers are hurting, when he's afraid, when he is faking insanity, whatever the situation, he is asking God for mercy. Be merciful to me, oh God. Why is mercy valued so much by God? Why is it so close to his heart? Why in David's life, a, a man known as a, a man after God's own heart, why is that mercy so important to him and to God? You know, we've talked about it before because it speaks to the human condition. We all sin, we all suffer, and we all suffer because of sin. And David is a prime example of that. He suffered, but he also sinned greatly as well. And that's why in Psalm 51, after sinning greatly, what does he turn around and do? He says, have mercy on me. And he's asking God to lessen the consequences of what he's done to himself. And isn't it fascinating that it looks like, from what you're suggesting as we look at these passages, that God actually created us to ask for mercy. He doesn't just give it. If it's so close to his heart and it reveals so much about him and about us, why isn't it just a given? Why is it the most prayed prayer? Why do we have to say it? I think when we ask for mercy, it's a statement of relationship. It's mm. a statement of saying, I know who you are. Mm. It is who God has revealed himself to be, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. And when we ask him for mercy, it is a statement of acknowledging who he has revealed himself. You know, it, it reminds me of a, a parallel, a little bit different. But in every marriage, how many times a day do we say, I love you, love you, bye, hun, love you, okay, love you. Or with your child, you're talking on the phone, love you, love you, love you. I think it's probably the most 
uttered saying in a relationship? And Robert, do you think in a way, have mercy on me, Lord have mercy on me, has any kind of reflection on that kind of exchange we experience humanly? Yeah, and maybe even reverse. I know you love me. Ah. I know you love me. I know you love me. That when we say have mercy, it's stating what we know about God. I know you love me. So have mercy on me. Right. Yeah. And you know, we, we don't say that in pride, do we? When you were describing a husband-wife relationship, that's a peer relationship. We're you know, among right. equals. Mm-hmm. But when we come before God, we don't do that with an arrogant heart. Mm-hmm. We don't say, have mercy on me, when we feel like we can do it ourselves. Or when we feel like you know, we don't really need him. We've talked before about how perhaps it delights God's heart when we truly absorb the fact that he loves us and we live loved you know, we're different because we know, we know, we know, we know that he loves us. There's an element to that. No, it's not about pride. It's about a statement of reality and fact that we've embraced and recognized. And maybe that pleases God's heart that we get, that he wants to be merciful. So it begins in the Old Testament, but it carries through to the New Testament. And perhaps we who know about the extreme love of God on the cross and just how far he has gone to display his love should then consider doing what David only hoped for. Hmm. David never even saw the great love that we have seen in Jesus. And yet he said, have mercy on me. Now that we've seen Jesus, maybe we should even more than David say, Lord, have mercy on us. And and that's probably what's behind everything that we read in the New Testament. I mean, everything from Acts on is all now in light of the mercy that's been shown to us so that everything else is simply a way of expressing. I guess if we're doing it right, everything else is just a way of expressing that we realize we who do not deserve it have gotten mercy. And so I think, shouldn't we then respond to our sin the same way David did? When David sinned, he immediately said, I want God's mercy. And oftentimes what we do is we sin and then we start beating ourselves up. When God says, I'm wanting to have compassion on you. And we know about the cross and we know about his forgiveness and grace. So maybe we should treat our sin the same way God treats our sin. Instead of punishing ourselves further. We try to punish ourselves when God's trying to stop punishing and be merciful. Wow, what a great discussion we're having about the mercy prayer and making the most prayed prayer in the Bible the most prayed prayer in our lives. Well, you're around the table here on Discover the Word with Mark DeHaan and Elisa Morgan and our guest for this series, pastor and author of the book, The Mercy Prayer, Robert Gelinas. In that last segment, we took note of the person in the Bible who was the most frequent prayer of the mercy prayer. The person called the man after God's own heart, David. Interesting connection. Well, that's how we're going to close part one of this two-part series with our guest, Robert Gelinas, focusing on the most prayed prayer in the Bible, the mercy prayer. And another interesting thing about this prayer is that it's the one request made of Jesus when he was here on earth that he always responded to and granted, from murderers and thieves to the brokenhearted. In the incidents we have recorded, Lord have mercy was something he always paid attention to. And so more about that in part two of this study. And that, by the way, is one of the questions Robert Gelinas tackles in his fascinating book called The Mercy Prayer. Charting a course through scripture and looking at God's mercy from Old Testament to New, Robert delivers in an even more in-depth way than he's able to do here on the podcast, a powerful study on how crucial the concept of mercy is to our relationship with God and how often the mercy prayer is prayed. I recommend getting a copy of The Mercy Prayer. 
Just go to your favorite online bookseller and search for The Mercy Prayer by Robert Gelinas, and that's spelled G-E-L-I-N-A-S, Robert Gelinas. As a compliment to our study, I think it will change the way you see God's mercy. All right, well, I'm Brian Hedinga. Thanks for listening. Don't miss part two of The Mercy Prayer with Robert Gelinas on the next Discover the Word podcast. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.